Hi. You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined as I always am by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castron. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dan. Woo, woo, woo. The, the incredible woo. Jackie Daytona, one of my very good friends, Jack Doyle, who uh, an incredible musician based in Texas. We've been doing this over two years now. That song has been at the beginning of every episode, and uh, I feel like we don't appreciate that enough. That's a really kick-ass song to start off a podcast. I feel like if Jackie Daytona existed in 1996... Yep. He, that's a big hit on X one oh seven in New York. Yeah. I think he's got I think he's got something. But you know what? Jack Doyle's okay. He's and doing, we're okay too. Yeah, we're doing okay. This is the second show of the night. Yep. And you know, all bets are off. Second yeah. Second show of the night. We were here with Mark Sessler earlier in the night, aka last week. And that was a lot of fun. But nice. now a little little podcast magic. Bob opened now, up the curtain. Just me and you. Open to the kimono. Little kimono. So a little dick. Just a little bloop, 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 bloop. Take out that little dick. Bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. A little dick sound. Bloop, 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 bloop. Oh, uh, yes. We were, um, we did have that short hiatus before the Mark Sessler app. Which, just so everybody knows, entirely your fault. Fault is the wrong word, but it is due to my schedule. I was in London. You said doo-doo. I was in London uh, with the Around the NFL podcast. I can't, I can't recall. Maybe Bob, you could refresh my memory. If this fucking piece of shit podcast ever sent me to Europe, I uh, can't. I don't think it did. Well, anyway, you kind of got a little ahead of it. I was going to announce it later in the episode, <laughs> but you know, why even bother now? But what I was going to say was, we did a live show for the Around the NFL podcast. Uh, from this uh, club in London and great success. And it was a lot of fun. And then after the show, we mingled with the fans. And as I told you earlier, Bob, I'm going to say like one in every four people, they told me that they love throwback podcasts. I think that might be because you want to stand out as a fan at that moment. Right. Uh, and by letting me know that you also listen to the podcast that no one listens to, that will make you, you know, make me like you more, which is absolutely true. No, that works. I remember. Do you remember? I mean, of course you do. Many years ago when Bill Simmons put out his first book. Yes. You and I. Now I can die in peace. Yes. You and I, despite the fact it was a book about the Red Sox winning the World Series. Think about that. Think about how big a fan we were of Bill Simmons and how important he was to us. That he wrote an entire book, a collection of columns that basically ends with the grand celebration of the Red Sox finally beating the Yankees in the playoffs in dramatic, uh, under dramatic circumstances. Not only did we buy the book the day it came out, we went to the West Village right. to meet the man at his we, book signing. We waited on a line that literally wrapped around the venue twice. It was a huge line. We were probably in line for almost two hours. 
just Probably. to meet Bill Simmons and get our book signed. And when we finally got there, I was very excited because joining him there just as a friend was Chuck Klosterman. That's right. Who I loved. But I remember having two hours to think of what I would say to Bill Simmons when I got there. As he was signing my book, I said, thank you. Big fan of your work on I Love the 90s. <laughs> and he looked up and was just like, wait, really? And I go, I'm just kidding. He's like, oh, okay. But like I did that thing where it was like, I'm going to say something nobody else is saying. You said that to Klosterman. No, no, no. I said that to Bill Simmons. Cause, oh, because he was on that. Yes. You were a Viacom employee at the time. Yeah. So I knew that Simmons was in there. So he was kind of shocked that anybody would reference his work on I Love the 90s. So I got his attention for 0.5 seconds. He and the, yeah, this was an incredibly important moment uh, to my life is the reason that I even work in sports really is because of Bill Simmons. Mm -hmm. And so it was very important that I came up with something important to say and uh, something that would I could connect with him on. And I knew that he was a U2 fan because he had mentioned them a lot in columns. And in fact, a couple of years earlier, he had written an entire column <clears throat> about U2 and their staying power. So this was shortly after the Vertigo album came out. It was 2004. And I asked him what he thought about the new U2 album. He's like, I haven't heard it yet. Oh. Was, oh, really, it hurt. He was busy. He, he was very me. busy. You failed. You whiffed. <laughs> He's like, how is it? <laughs> <laughs> Bad impression. <laughs> Had so many years to get a better impression. What you got a better Simmons impression? No, I'm I'm not trying. You're the you're the man of a thousand voices here at the Throwback Pod. I'm not going to even. Test I'm the it. Uh, dude from Police Academy. You're the Michael Winslow of the Throwback <laughs> That's Pod. That's not a good sign. If I'm the stand-in <laughs> for Winslow, anyway. So I don't know what. Oh, but it was cool. It was cool to hear uh, and meet with fans um, in London that are fans of this show, yeah. which is a little bit mind blowing. That we have people overseas, and and basically, most of the conversations, Bob, were centered upon the request that we um, did a episode about the Arctic Monkeys. Really, that's that's kind of Which random. I don't know if it's going to happen. I just I don't have any connection to the, any of their work really. I owned the first album, like got it immediately because of all the buzz. I feel like I could talk about it, but if you're not feeling it, then. Why don't you tell all of those nice, nice young men? Who Let me came jump up. in here, Bob. Go fuck yourself. There you go. But uh, a lot of people are asking for Radiohead, too, which I would love to do. But the disconnect there is that Bob has never really been a Radiohead guy. No, but you know what? If we did the Benz, like that would be cool. You're like, so basic. I'm basic. Yeah. So like we, I mean, we, we talked about OK Computer and how I, n I never really, you know, responded to that album. Because for we're going to get Henry Hodgson in. the Yeah, studio. I would love to in the garage uh, for the Radiohead album to be named later. Um, anyway, so that was great. Uh, but today's a, a great one. I'm really excited. If you are a longtime listener to the show, you probably know by now that R.E.M. is one of those bands that Bob and I share and we both love. Uh, and for me, R.E.M. is one of my very favorite band ever uh, bands ever. They're probably in... They would be on my Mount Rushmore, absolutely. And every album of theirs from, I guess it would be Monster On, I bought the day it came out. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I learned uh, using, what was it called, Bob? It was the, uh, what was the service where you could pay for six cents? You can get every CD you Columbia want. House. Columbia House. I, I did that scam and, and got their entire back catalog. And that's mm -hmm. how I came into 
connection for the first time with the album Out of Time, which we're going to talk about today. Yeah, this is um, this is one of the more authentic throwback podcast episodes because we didn't know what we were going to do tonight. And we both really just want to listen to this album. Yes. And I will say this. When we get to losing my religion, everyone knows losing my religion. Um, but when I did dig into this album, when I when I first really went through it, and this would probably be in my late high school, early college years, there's so many great songs in this album. Mm-hmm. I love this album. It's not my favorite R.E.M. album because there's some clunkers on it. It comes out of the gate with a hardcore clunker, and we'll we'll listen to it soon. Um, but the album, it's it's short, and it hits a lot of the um, REM. It's like REM finding their groove as a major label band, and it's uh, I can't wait to listen to it. I can't believe you're calling the song that I'm going to defend vehemently a hardcore clunker. This is going to be fun. It's the worst song they ever put out. It's so good. Okay, well, the, before we get to that, Bob, REM put out out of time in 1991. Now that I know, even just just thinking back to being 11 and and losing my religion owning the radio. Mm-hmm. I don't even I have no idea. I'll just say February 1991. Yeah, why not? March 1991. Okay. Okay. Do you know what else happened in March 1991? I would love to know. Little, I would love to. Little 10-year-old Dan Hansis. Mm, so hot. Well, WrestleMania 7 went down. Yes, that was... And will you, I was going to quiz you right now. Okay, go ahead. Let's go. What was the main event at That's WrestleMania an easy one. It was, 7? It was, her, it was held in the shadow of that limited skirmish in the Middle East, <laughs> the Persian Gulf War, Operation yep, yep. Uh, Desert Storm. Uh-huh. Well, it began as Desert Shield, Bob, and then it became Desert of Storm. Of course, because we were defending, and then yes. we had to go on the uh, oh, yeah, aggressive. You got to get those scuds Yeah, with those Patriot missiles. Oh, do you remember our, our substitute teacher, Mr. Rivas? who was like a technology sub. No. I, all I remember about Mr. Revis was he was very... Um, was very, it Darrell Revis? It was Darrell Revis. Uh, amongst just... Uh, I think he, he was one of those subs that would curse because he didn't care. He's a badass, yeah. He's a badass. He also told us how he had stock in Scud missiles <laughs> and he was about to make a lot of money. <laughs> but Scud was the bad guy missile. Scud defense missile. Sorry. Yeah, he had the... The uh, Patriot missile. The Patriot missile, yes. He had, he had stock in he the Patriot. Stock Is that a thing? Patriot. That's totally I, I, made up. That's what this uh, substitute technology teacher in Pearl River, New York was saying. That's what he was doing on his dates. <laughs> uh, but the main event, of course, tied into it was uh, Hulk Hogan against Sergeant Slaughter. That is correct. Now, I, w- I have a great wrestling tidbit, Bob, and we got to keep moving, but... Do we, though? The It was supposed to be held at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Uh, which why, why do you know so much? See, it's like eighty thousand people, but this was as the end of kind of the Hogan Warrior era. I think Warrior was out by this point, or was close to out, and they couldn't sell it out. They couldn't even come close to selling it out. Mm-hmm. So they faked a terrorist threat, and they said we had to move it out of the costume. They moved it to the sports arena, which has since been closed, but the sports arena held about like twelve thousand. So they were able to have it in a sold-out venue and save face and not have 40,000 empty seats. Right. Anyway, Hogan versus Slaughter, Hogan by pinfall. And the Ultimate Warrior defeated Macho Man Randy Savage. In the retirement match. Correct. (laughs) God damn. (laughs) Delete this shit from your brain and learn something new. It's horrible. It's very important to know the card from WrestleMania (laughs) 7. Also, the NFL uh, stripped the Super Bowl from Arizona for not recognizing Martin Luther King Day. 
<laughs> Arizona. Are we serious? I mean, step it up, Arizona. And a lot of great movies came out in March 1991, including The Doors, uh, New Jack City. Can you imagine what a fucking asshole Val Kilmer was on the set of The Doors? Such a fucking asshole. A method actor playing Jim Morrison, who was the biggest asshole in the history of rock? Yep. Uh, TMNT2, The Secret of the Ooze, saw it in the theater. I think I did, too. I think I left the theater saying that's my favorite movie ever. That's the one that has the Vanilla Ice rap song, right? Of course it does. Ninja rap. Yep. Go Ninja, go Ninja. If Looks Could Kill, starring Richard Grieco. That guy fucked. And Career Opportunities, best known for the one scene where Jennifer Connelly is riding on a little horse in a Target. Okay, I don't know that one. Yes, you do. That doesn't ring a bell immediately. On a horse? The entire thing. It was the guy from... um, In a Target? The the entire movie takes place in a Target. The department store? Yeah. Huh. And uh, it stars the guy who almost got shot in Pulp Fiction. (laughs) You know, when uh, he unloads the gun and it misses him every time. Frank Worry, I think his name is. Okay. Stars that guy and a young (laughs) Jennifer Connelly. And in the preview, it's just her on one of those little... Uh, right. Yeah, you got me on this one, Bob. How I do know you a lot fucking of fucking know this immediately. Listen, I know as a um, white cis male, uh, a lot of Jennifer Connelly scenes from the nineties. How do you not know this one? That this have is, circulated on the internet. This is iconic. Look at this. Come on, that was a big deal. That was oh a, yeah, okay. There we go. Well, but, you know, but I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. That was like in the trailer. That's the reason you went to go see the movie. That's a nice scene. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll tweet that out. What else, Bob? That's all. What, what more do you need? I want to know the number one song. The number one alternative rock song, When Out of Time by R.E.M. came out, was this inescapable hit. Oh, my God. That is playing on some 90 station at this exact moment. Jesus lives. Bob Dylan? I thought that was a Bob Dylan. I never noticed that. Alright, so... If you were alive in the late 80s, early 90s, and the song came out on 9-11, put it on the board, 1990, you know that there was a lot of um, Berlin Wall-related pop culture at this Mm -hmm. time. But this was the Berlin Wall pop culture banger. Well, this, Winds of Change, the Scorpions is up there. I think Hasselhoff had a banger. Hasselhoff had like an international banger. But this is the one that if you give me a song that soundtracks that moment and also what music sounded like. Yeah. In 1991, it's right here right now by Jesus Jones. And this is one of those bands that sometimes you'll hear like a big hit from the late 80s, early 90s. And you're like, man, I bet if I I bet if I dig into this band's catalog, I'll find out they're secretly great. Like a band like like Big Country or something. You're like, right. I bet they have like a lot of good like songs. I don't think Jesus Jones has another good song. 
I have a feeling they don't. I feel, I, I feel like this is it. I think you're probably right. I don't think they've duplicate. They were able to duplicate this. I do like that the follow-up single, because they're obviously going for a global audience. Mm-hmm. The follow-up single is called "International Bright Young Thing." <laughs> This Which is, sounds like a terrible song just by the title. This is one step up from a Pepsi commercial. Like it's like just a little bit better. I think it was a Pepsi commercial, wasn't it? Maybe that's why I think that. I think Chris, he, I think wait, was it a, was it a Crystal Pepsi commercial? Oh, Bob, I think, you I think might it be was. Right. I think that's where my brain went. Hang on, right here, <laughs> right now, plus Pepsi. Let's see what comes up. I think you're right. I Bob. think I might be right, or I'm wrong. No, you're right. It was Pepsi. Oh my God, Bob! The Crystal Pepsi launch ad is. Oh my God, Bob! That's a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, hang on. We got a lot of shit going on there. I am to uh, big ad campaigns. What you are to WrestleMania lineups. <laughs> Let's do it. Wait, is wait, hang on a second. Uh oh, Bob. No. Don't Ooh, take away my celebration. I take it from Don't you. take away my celebration. It was Van Halen right now. That makes oh. sense. You know what? Partial credit. I'll take the 50. I'll take the 50%. By the way, how about what a bad job by Eddie Van Halen? He that what? song was already hit and he turned he turned it into a crystal, crystal clear Pepsi ad where they even stole the conceit of the video where it's like right now you're really thirsty yes, for a you're new right. drink. That's it's like, Jesus, it Eddie. Fuck. Eddie. Eddie, how dare you make another $5 million off the song? Right now, someone just got a taste of the future. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, I'll tweet that out. All right, so my brain was close. I'm, I'm close, proud. Close, but you did blow it. And that's just something you have to live with. Partial credit. Still, the only memorable thing connected to our seventh grade dinner dance was they had unlimited crystal clear Pepsi. What was the very first match at WrestleMania Seven? How they opened the event? Yes. See, that's a tough one, Bob. Um, well, I do know that the blindfold match between... Um, one of my all-time favorites. Jake the Snake yeah. and Rick Martel was on that bill. But I don't think they would open the match. So I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, Coco Beware defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. That was... Okay. <laughs> Are you ready to dig into this, Bob? Or we can keep talking WrestleMania 7. <laughs> Entirely up to you. All right, Bob. We're going to start with some heat because the song that I believe to be the worst song R.E.M. ever released is a song that you apparently like quite a bit. So let's listen to it right now. Hey, I can't find nothing on the radio. Uh, Turn to that station. By the way, this is great. Great. This is an awesome start to this song. Great start. Right now I'm thinking, okay, they did it again. But then something changes. When I got to the house and I called you out, I could tell she had been crying, crying. It's that same, same song. Say good. 
Love this part. Love this part. You're coming off as extremely racist right now. Okay. I can't believe you're trying to whitewash Radio Song by R.E.M. That is one way to put it. The other way to put it is, I don't have a problem with R.E.M. at this stage in their career, and they're about nine years into a brilliant career, but I don't have an issue with them trying to work in a hip-hop angle, and obviously hip-hop was exploding at this time, but it did at the time smack of, you know, white guys in rock band trying too hard. Now, if you want to try to paint that in a different way, Bob, that I mean, that's how you can do it. But I have nothing, I have no issue with KRS-One other than he was happy about 9-11. Wasn't there a story about KRS-One? There was a... We got to put him on the board. How's he not on the board already? Uh, KRS-One, one, 11. But he did. He ones. was in the news for, he, he was saying he was happy when the towers went He was down. one of those guys that took the angle like we had it coming. Right. Yeah. Anyway, but you like the song. Yes. I liked this song when I discovered it. Not in 1991. I definitely discovered it years later. And I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun. I like uh, I like hearing a band do something different. And this mm-hmm. is not this is not a normal REM song. And I don't find the hip hop side of it to be offensive. I, I mean there's think, no actual hip hop side to he's it. He's not there's overdoing just- it. KRS One is in the opening. You hear him shouting a couple times, and then he has a really he has a little cringy verse. What do you say? End. What do you say? That's coming up. Right. Um, Which to me, that's what ruins the song, and it's it's just it's forced because everything else is kind of like a cool REM song, and then they they kind of overreach. I, I guess I never thought of it like what would this song be without him. I guess if if you actually like step back and say, could this be a great REM song without him? Probably, right. but I've never done that. Well, let's. Let's turn the floor over to KRS One. He closes out the song. I think that bothers me too. Right. He gets there the final go. word. I mean, I don't hate it as much as I thought I did, but I don't know. I just think it was an overreach. That's all. Look, at the end of every episode, we get to put one song on the Spotify <laughs> playlist. Not to get too far ahead of it, but I like that song. Well, I will use my veto powers. <laughs> Everything I have. All right, Bob, let's get into let's it. Let's get into the actual album now of R.E.M. Sans KRS-One. By the way, this would have been a great way to start the album. Would have been. Yeah. Sense in your eyes. Oh, no, I'm sad to 
Opening single released February 19th, 1991, Losing My Religion, the biggest hit the band would ever have, reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100, stayed on the charts forever, exploded the band from cool underground indie alternative rock band to one of the biggest rock bands in the world, and its video was one of the most evocative, memorable videos of the decade. It was basically the band blowing up. When you think of a band blowing up, R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion hitting airwaves is a band blowing up. It's funny because becoming music fans post this song, the R.E.M. legend was how they were this highly respected band in the 80s. And an IRS records. IRS records and how like they influenced so many other big bands and then this happened and they were huge. For me, like I because the song was so big, it makes me think that retroactively everything before that was so big because I wasn't a fan of theirs until afterwards. I didn't care about music until afterwards. So it's interesting to hear you say that, that this really took them from that one kind of band into another type of stratosphere. Like, it's very interesting that this is the song that literally turned an indie band into a huge band. And I think they're one of the most respected bands ever, really, rock bands. I think everyone that understands and appreciates rock music appreciates the way R.E.M. did it. And there is something to be said that this is a weird song for radio. Like, it's built on a mandolin riff, and it's not... the Lyrically, it's a kind of a strange song. The video is bizarre. So they didn't, it's not like, I'll use an example of a band that we like, but I get why people kind of turned on them. Kings of Leon. Right. Like when they put out Sex on Fire, oh. it's like essentially they, they took their sound and they boiled it down to the most radio friendly version of what they were. And then people would say, oh, they sold out. They have a number one record, but now we don't respect them. REM did the opposite of that, which was they just continued to evolve. And essentially that kind of landed in the middle of the mainstream. Which I love that. I love when it's, you know, make them come to you. And that's what they did. They weren't trying to make what was popular, which is funny to say, one's, one track after Radio Song. That's what's weird about it. Because yeah. Radio Song, I don't believe it was a single. But it, it, I imagine if you were, imagine we were too young and we weren't into R.E.M. at this point. But imagine if you were like the cool college kid in the early 80s and R.E.M. was your band and you're very apprehensive about them signing to a major label. Mm -hmm. And I think Green, the previous album, was their first song and the first album on the label. But then this came out and you heard Radio Song and you're probably like, oh, shit. What the fuck? <clears throat> but that's not what it was. Anyway, and Radio Song was the final single on the album. But um, No, they kept doing this like years later with... Ebo the letter. I remember hearing that for the first time and being like, oh, this is not a single. Mm -hmm. And it went on to be a hit. And since we're talking about Losing My Religion, just to put some more context in how big this album was, it spent 109 weeks on the American album charts. Two separate uh, spots at the top of the charts. And it also spent 183 weeks on the British charts and a week at the top. How many albums, Bob? 
Oh, God. Um, By the way, they're a true worldwide band because I'm very surprised to see the breakdown of the album sales. That surprised me. 14? 18 million copies worldwide. 4.5 million in the U.S. Whoa. So 4.5 is a great number, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But usually, like, when you hear about a massive album, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, it's like 10 million, 15 million. Four and a half million. So they're still kind of, uh, they were mainstream at that point, but 18 million worldwide. It's nuts. Good job, rest of the world. And by the way, yes, good job. More respect to R.E.M., who broke up about five or six years ago now, maybe longer. More than that now, yeah. They were such a huge worldwide band that, they could have just done tours for the rest of their lives and made a trillion dollars, and they didn't want to do it anymore. All right. Let's get to it, Bob. Let's keep moving. Keep going. That is a song, though, that I needed distance from after a while. Oh, totally. And I liked hearing it here, but I'm not going to lie. Next time it comes on the radio, I'm probably going to turn it off. But It was I inescapable. Still, it was in so inescapable yeah. for, for years. But it is crazy that like that song was on Z100 next to Technotronic. Yes. It was important to have REM. Here we go. Dusk is dawn, stay. Where did it go? I've been laughing Fast and slow Moving in still frame Howling at the moon Morning found me laughing Up and down Suits me fine. Morning suits me fine. I've been so happy, happy. Way up high, high. All right, so this is low. Kind of stays in this area. Pretty, like, kind of a chill down after losing my religion. Good, kind of like album track to me so you're not going to call it mid-album filler I don't think it is I like this part I like it yeah I skip the part of the this this chorus kind of saves it I don't even know if it's chorus it's kind of a weird kind of it just kind of exists and kind of rolls yep um, I can understand if someone said it was mid-album filler. I don't know if that's where your head's at on it. Nope. I'm not I think it has a good... It fits in nicely where it is. This is an album. They're a band that made albums. <laughs> this fits in. This was an album. It was an album. Yeah. What are you doing over there, Bob? What are you working on? During in the middle of the podcast. I'm listening to the R.E.M. song. Are you posting our other podcast in the middle of this podcast? A little bit. But I'm done now. All right. 
This is a good song to post another podcast to. That's what they they're that's what he's singing about. There's he's only like, two of us, Bob. Post another podcast. <laughs> that's kind of what he's saying, I think, right? All right. Here we go. That's low. Uh up next is ooh, I like this one. Near Wild Heaven. always like uh, when there's another singer in the band me too and then he pops up and this is mike mills singing near wild heaven you hear michael stipe in the chorus but this is mike mills i like that I, didn't you creeped mike mills out once i did and i shared the story yes so you can't count it as a strike against us no, if book. we're aware of it it doesn't count and if somebody is just listening to this as their first throwback right. pod you need to share it again because we're talking about rem first super bowl i ever covered was in indianapolis in 2012 and mike mills and a buddy were sitting at the bar at the hotel where we were staying in the marriott in downtown indianapolis uh robert uh jim ursay the owner of the colts was throwing some type of um charity function and he's a big rock fan so he was able to pull a lot of people in for it mike mills was one of those people I had a couple of uh, vodkas, I would imagine. And as, before we left the hotel bar, I kind of inserted myself into the conversation and told Mike Mills that he was the best backing vocalist in rock history, <laughs> to which Mike Mills went, uh, thanks. Thank <laughs> and that was it. It's um, It's been a long time since I've done that, but I feel like that's a that's a big move in your 20s. Maybe even early to mid thirties when you're thirty one. When you're getting when you're getting good and sloshed. <laughs> doing that thing where you just kind of stand, you kind of like walk over and gently like nudge yourself into a into a group and you just stand there waiting for your moment. You need to be like a certain level of drunk to do that. Right. And you don't want to, but you don't want to get too drunk because then you don't realize how obvious you're being about it. You gotta right. play the right notes. No, because you're, if you're too drunk, you're swaying a little too much, like back and forth. And then like everybody's scared about what's about to happen. But, but the, the right level of drunk, you can get away with that. Right. And I, I was happy I did it because I don't think Mike Mills is in one of the most famous rock bands of the last 25, 30 years. But you were the first guy to ever come up to him. I, I imagine I was the only guy that came up to him in that bar. Oh, probably. Yeah. I don't think Mike Mills... Now, maybe I'm being naive here, but I don't think like Mike Mills is getting approached a lot to be told that he's the greatest backing vocalist in the history of rock music. I think it's safe to say that. That's a pretty that's, nice compliment to get, right? 
that specific compliment he's received less than a dozen times in his life. Really? Well, then I feel great about it. I, I would say so. he's had it way more than that. I'm sure he's gotten complimented, but for that's a very specific compliment from a drunk dude at a bar. <laughs> I think that's happened to him 11 times. And let it be, I just want to make it clear. I, I left no opening. It wasn't like, you're one of the best. I said, you are the best yep. backing vocals. And he is, and you'll hear it on this album and throughout their catalog, He's one of those, they're one of those bands where the lead singer's voice and then the guy that's the backing vocalist, in this case, the bassist, Mike Mills, it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who, what's another combination <clears throat> in um, rock that would rival it. Um, Rhett Miller and Murray Hammond of the old 97s. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, like you know, popular rock bands. Right. Right. So those two and then somebody else. <laughs> who else is there? But Mills and Stipe all time. Classic. All right. Let's go, Bob. Moving on to Endgame. Here we go. Second podcast of the day. See, this is why I love this album, by the way, because it is, despite having Losing My Religion on it, and the next track we'll get to, which is is on the nose in terms of a radio single, as you can get, it's mixed in with these really, like, meandering songs that are in no rush to do anything but exist as just kind of like sonic landscapes and it's like smack in the middle of the album mm-hmm. that's what near wild heaven is let's listen to it My wife hates Michael Stipe and R.E.M., by the way. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up, too. This seems like the right song to talk about how your wife hates his voice. And it's so annoying to me because I love R.E.M. so much. And it drives me crazy because my wife, in general, has good taste in music. Mm-hmm. Um, but she Better did... taste in music than she does in men. Oh! <laughs> Boom! It's true, actually. Um, but she doesn't realize that so many of the bands that she likes are directly influenced by R.E.M., which drives me crazy. Every time you listen to R.E.M., you realize how many people want to sound like Michael Stipe. Right. But unfortunately, some time ago, we're talking over a decade ago, my wife was at some event, some media event in New York. And as fate would have it, at this banquet table, she was at the same table table as Michael Stipe. And... Stipe, who I think is it's fairly well known that he's I wouldn't say a prickly personality, but he's no, his he's own pretty famous for that, I think. He's he's Michael Stipe. Right. He's fucking Michael Stipe. And he's not gonna he's not a gregarious sort. He's a bit of an introvert, uh a, a creative type, if you will. Mm-hmm. Incredibly famous and probably a little closed off because of that. Famous for a long time. A long he's been in the game. Yeah. And my, but my wife, my beautiful wife Emily, found him to have an attitude, a tood, as kids say. Mm-hmm. This guy's got a major tood. That's what a lot of kids say now. Yeah. You have an eight-year-old son. I'm sure he says that all the time. Oh, such a major tood! Stop giving me tood, Dad. All the time. And because of this tood, I don't even know if she had a direct connection. She might have said something. I'll have to double check with her on this. 
maybe I'll, maybe we could include at the end of the episode her account. Um, but she might have said something and tried to strike up conversation with Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Mm-hmm. And he was not necessarily interested in talking to this 24-year-old girl that he had he'd never met before. You know, he's also a gay man, I believe. Yeah. So not, tw- there's nothing that Michael Stipe needs to talk to a 24-year-old. 24-year-old blonde Texan coming over <laughs> being like, Hey, Michael Stipe, what's going on? What's going to happen? Uh, yeah, and he's not a fan of guns either, so she's <laughs> shooting a six-shooter and into the ceiling. Yeah. And, and from that point, and that, that happened before I ever met her, she's held something against Michael Stipe and, by extension, R.E.M., you know what you know what I would do if I saw Michael Stipe. You know what I would say when I walked up to him, just to make sure I was noticed. Mm-hmm. Hey, I loved your production work on being John Malkovich. <laughs> smart. See, Very you just smart. go in different angle. Nobody's thinking about that. I have. I Nobody's have a, thinking he was a producer on being John Malkovich, but he was. This is my angle. All right, let's hear it, Mike. You are the greatest backing vocalist in the history of rock <laughs> music. <laughs> That's a twist. Yeah, I like that. Or, Mike, I agree. Everybody does hurt. I feel like that would do something. No, because he's probably got that before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike, too basic. Mike, top two mics in REM. Go. Something like that, maybe? Like have him rank him? And tickle his funny bone. Yeah. No sense of humor, though. He would not appreciate that at all. Remember when um, the girl Stephanie that we both hypothetically dated? Right. Only one of us got into a fist fight uh, over her. Yes. At, uh, at the playground. Did you want to did you want to tie a bow? On that? <laughs> we because should, we did should, leave. We should go back to it because they got you uh, left out something after the fact about the story, the fight with you and Dave. Dave. You left out a key part of the story that you're concerned, right? He said something to you. That really left you shaken. Oh, during the fight. Yes, that you left out of the story. Yes, I realized afterwards, and I uh, put this on our subreddit, our throwback pod. Um, so the fight actually had two rounds. So if you haven't... Uh, if I you can't believe to, I set this up. I, I do not want to hear about this. It's a lot. It's I, I know late. it's very unlike you to actually want to go back and have me talk for five <laughs> minutes about something. Wait, this is going to be five minutes? At least. <laughs> oh, no. Right before a song that you want to like devote all your attention to also. Oh, no. So it was a cold, stormy day. It wasn't stormy. In Pearl River, New York. We set it up with facts. (laughs) No, there were two rounds. So I threw Dave down to the ground. We got up and after that that first little tussle, uh, he had a bloody nose and I had a fat lip. And he said, your lip is bleeding. And I go, yeah, so is your nose. And he's like, yeah, but this is going to be better. You're going to have a fat lip. And that's when I knew that the fight couldn't be over. Checkmate. Right. It was yeah. like, oh, that can't be it now. Like, we need a round two. So I believe round two started. He attempted to kick me and miss. <laughs> and then you broke his neck. Like, and, and I just snapped his neck. <laughs> and Dave is dead. Now Dave's dead. And Bob's on the lamb. That was the real story. <laughs> and that leads perfectly to our next song. <laughs> By the way, a, a, a beautiful, wonderful start to this song. Another one where there's elements of a truly great R.E.M. song. There we go. Well, now I'm like, uh-oh. and then the rest of it happens. It's like, uh oh, this yeah. is wow! I never realized that this and radio song are the same thing. Yeah, there are elements of a classic REM song that get blown up. All right, here yeah. we go. Meet 
Kate Pearson of B-52s. Love me, love me, take it into town. Happy, happy, put it in the ground where the flowers grow. Like this. Don't like this. Don't like this. Mike Mills. <laughs> Alright, so this is Shiny Happy People. This is one of their most well-known songs, for better or worse. It has another memorable video where they just really lean into the hamminess of it all. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dancing on a, a really cheap soundstage with Kate Pearson and a bunch of young people wearing, including Michael Stipe, wearing super 1991 outfits. I think Michael Stipe's wearing a yellow hat with a, oh, it's a bill so, that's like two feet long. It's so colorful and... It's everything that was stupid about 1991. It really is everything stupid about 1991. That's the perfect way to describe this song. <laughs> Uh, and yet, there are elements of it's the not, song that like, are good. As repulsive as it is in some ways, it's also kind of good in other ways. Like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> Here we go! Kate Pearson of the B-52s falls into like a weird category for me of like... Can she get it? Girls that like, when I was like 12, it's like, am I into this? Like, I yeah. don't know what's happening right now. Because it, she was very much grown up. Yeah. I think she knew how to fill out like fill out like a weird b-52s outfit she would have like the big like is it a wig is she a dude i don't know what's happening like there was a lot going on with kate pearson but i was into it she sounds great in this she does um this is a top 10 hit bob and it also because 1991 was dumb as fuck (laughs) it was number six on the uk singles chart uh becoming the first rem song to reach the top 10 in the uk and the only one to reach a top 10 in both countries it's also their biggest hit in Ireland, where it reached number two, and in Germany, where it peaked at number ten. That makes sense in a weird way. They were especially after the wall came down. They were well. They were still trying to uh, course correct from like fifty years <laughs> earlier. <laughs> we're happy. Trust us. <laughs> we're different now. Okay. Uh, shiny. Uh, shiny furry monsters on Sesame Street with REM is one of the best kid songs that I discovered when uh, my firstborn was like four years old. Happy Furry Monsters, I believe was the uh, the song. R.E.M. was there. It was great. Great song you just put on for a little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a great quote from Michael Stipe on it. Despite the song's success, band members were ambivalent about being known for a pop song that lacked gravitas. Here's, mm. here's Stipe's quote. It's a fruity pop song written for children. It just is what it is, he told the BBC. 
2016. If there was one song that was sent into outer space to represent REM for the rest of time, I would not want it to be <laughs> okay, Shiny good. Happy Whew. So there's a level of awareness. And I think I read that they purposely wanted to put like a weird, super happy song that was almost absurdly happy. But I think maybe it got lost in trans- translation. And then there's probably a lot of people that hate R.E.M. because of that song. Right. And rightfully so. Right. Is that a bad song? I I think so. I think it's a bad song. Okay, I'll give it to you. I agree with you. It's not the, it is the song if I'm trying to play R.E.M. for some friends or family and I'm like, you got to listen to these guys. It's the one song oh, I you, don't want coming up on the shuffle. can't put that on a mix no. ever. But I mean like an R.E.M. shuffle right. scenario. Yeah. All right. Up next is a song called Belong. All right. So this is again why I like this album because it's really weird. Like it, it, as much as you might be against shiny, happy people, it is weird. Even for a song, there's a weirdness to that song that it even exists, especially mm-hmm. when the next song is a spoken word instrumental, essentially. Her world collapsed early Sunday morning. She got up from the kitchen table, folded the newspaper, and silenced the radio. Those creatures jumped the barricades and headed for the sea. Spoken word verse and a wordless chorus. Love this. I think it's all on purpose, too. I think they were very aware. They signed to Warner Brothers Records, and it's a really big deal in that community mm-hmm. that R.E.M. had gone mainstream and signed with a big label. And these putting all these weird songs on this otherwise, you know, mainstream pop album was their way of saying, like, you know, we're still here. Like, we're still weird. Only a band who is already very successful can get away with this. Like an album like this. Right. Like you either have to be in a band that nobody knows and you're not going to make it or you're very successful and you know you have a couple of ringers in your back pocket like Losing My Religion or even Shiny Happy People in a weird way that it's going to be okay. Shiny weird. Happy People, by the way, was AOL Music. Put it on the list. Number one of 111 wussiest songs of all time. I don't think that list would exist anymore. In 2006, Wussy was still... Thing. Can you call things Wussy now? I don't think you can. Blender also called it, uh, ranked at number 35 on the list of 50 worst songs ever. Okay. Q Magazine included it on a list of 10 terrible records by great artists. <clears throat> by the way, I could listen to a loop of this chorus Yeah. by Mike Mills on a repeat forever. Tell that to him next time you see him. He's definitely never heard that before. <laughs> He'd be like, stop following me, weirdo. You weird fuck. I like that. Somebody did something similar on uh, YouTube. 
um, with the first single on the latest Vampire Weekend record. Okay. Um, where they just repeated the guitar open repeatedly for like an hour straight. And it's completely transfixing to the point where I was able to um, write one day just listening to it on loop. Oh, my God. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. But um, yeah, YouTube is good for that. Might I recommend next time you need something to write to? There's a YouTube video of the, oh, yeah, from the Entourage song, <laughs> playing for 24 hours. If you ever need something, just go to YouTube, type in Entourage, oh, yeah, 24 straight hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy. By the way, that's, uh, what's his name? Perry Farrell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is what I'm, and Vampire Weekend, which doesn't exist without R.E.M., but this is what I'm talking about. Just over and over again. So pleasant. This could be on Out of Time, by the way. Yeah, totally. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. A little later in the year, Bob, we're going to be uh, talking about our favorite songs of the year. Yeah. Oh, man. Just imagine that song by Vampire Weekend. If KRS-One came out, that'd be fucking great. With his 9-11 denying. (laughs) I think we should probably... Look up what KRS once said. Okay, we'll do that during the next. To make sure we didn't uh, misrepresent him. It's kind of one of those things you don't want to misrepresent someone I mean, on. we've misrepresented so much on this podcast. We've right. called David Faustino a criminal. We've, we've done a lot of bad things. <laughs> so it's fine. What about the violinist from uh, that certain band? <laughs> There's a man that we might have defamed. Who knows? All right, here's one of my favorite, 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 favorite R.E.M. songs. ARS1 plus 911. Search. This could be the saddest dust ever seen. Turn to a miracle. I lie. My mind is racing. It's so always well. Tired, my heart aches. I'm half a world away. Here, my head sworn to go it alone and hold it alone, hold it alone, hold it, go it alone, hold it alone. Ho, 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 lonely, deep, and hollow. Half a world. And what hurts the most about my wife saying she hates Michael Stipe and R.E.M. And she said she she doesn't like his voice. That hurts because Michael Stipe might have, and I think I said this on the Automatic for the People pod, my favorite voice in the history of rock music. It's such a beautiful, rich, timber vibe. T-I-M-E-R-E. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you guys got married despite having such vastly different opinions on Michael Stipe's voice. 
Like both ends of like as far away as two people could be on the subject. I know. The best voice in music and the worst piece of shit human voice <laughs> ever. But this is a beautiful song. It is, absolutely. This kind of fits in that find the river world. I think. Totally. It's not as orchestral, but... I it's on like the road to right. what happened on Automatic for the People, for yes. sure. That violin comes gets yeah. me every time. I was thinking about my uh, my soon to be dad band recently. Oh God, you're not playing guitar anymore, right? Making negative progress on the guitar. I have. There's no such thing as negative progress. No, I've picked it up a few times and I keep getting worse and understanding it less. <laughs> so I don't know how this is going to happen. That is negative progress. But it is eventually has to you're happen. Getting worse at guitar. Yeah, yeah. You don't usually hear that. No, I don't get it. Um, but eventually, I will master it enough to be on stage. Oh, I don't know, Bob. Based on the scouting report you just threw out there, it doesn't sound like eventually is happening. Things are not trending in the right direction. However, I am determined to do it to spite you, so it has to happen. <laughs> that is, there's nothing stronger in terms of uh, motivation than spite. But I was thinking, too, about, um, of course, the ultimate spite would be also singing. Oh, and, yeah! And you having to sub- be subjecting you to that as well. So I was thinking about the different voices that I've liked over time and it goes from you know the Michael Snipe to the Stephen Malcolmses of Pavement where he's not really a good singer but mm-hmm. it still kind of works mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe every here's my new theory everybody has a good voice you just have to find where it is okay keep going so like if I asked you to sing like Michael Snipe right now it would, right. Be a, it would be a disaster right if I asked you to sing like Bono granted he's not that great but you could you wouldn't sound the same it would be pretty close and people would love it. But if you took like, if you took a little time to really like find where your singing voice is, you'd probably find an interesting voice. YouTube video is titled Four Hours and 45 Minutes of Entourage. Oh, yeah. Somebody made this. Somebody made this. How many many views? Not a lot. 17,000. Still. And the guy that made it in all caps under the uh, summary, <laughs> probably the best part of a TV show theme song ever. <laughs> and then the first comment by Brandon Collins three years ago, he points directly to the moment at three hours, 26 minutes and 53 seconds in and calls it pure ecstasy. Do <laughs> you want me to click on that? Please do. <laughs> Anyway, yes, Bob, we all have a singing voice deep within. Yeah. Except for you. No, I'm going to find it. Dad Bands 2020. Except for you. Pasadena, summer 2020. 
No offense. Wait, so now you're telling me not only are you going to learn how to play guitar, you're going to be the front man of this band? Yes. I kind of was assuming that you were, your goal was to be like the, you know, like the rhythm guitarist. Like the, the guy that's like the Gwigsy in, uh, well, Gwigsy was the bassist. You're like the bonehead of the band that you were going to join from Oasis. I'm thinking more like Buckethead. I'm going to be, <laughs> at worst, the Mike Mills. Most likely. The Mike Mills. At most. So you wait. So you'd play bass. No, no. I mean, with back. Backing you're Peter Va- Buck, but you're Peter Buck. No, the no. Backing Vox, where I step up. Mm, doesn't feel right. More likely, though, I'm going to be the Mike Stipe. <laughs> You'll be the Peter Buck who got taken off an airplane for being belligerent, mixing right red wine with sleeping pills. I love that. <laughs> what rock stars? One note. Um, one last note about Half a World Away. I've mentioned it on the show before that I once made a mixtape for a girl that I put more time and effort into it than any I had ever made. And her first comment to me was, it's so sad. Yeah. That was track two. <laughs> oh, my God. Track two. <laughs> wow. What a cry for help. It was a cry for love. It was it was a cry for love, Bob, and it was a cry <laughs> that went unanswered. Wow. Well, it was the answer, and the answer was, yeah, it was this is sad. You poor fucking sap. <laughs> Good bass by Mike Mills here, Bob. Maybe bass is where you're at. I can see that. Like deep in the background on the stage. But like still singing. Like deep. Like still singing, though. By the way, this is Mike Mills again on the lead box on a 10-track album. I believe it's 10 tracks. He's on lead box twice. Wow. Here the um, here's a snippet of KRS One's nine eleven comments. Yep, he was on a panel discussion hosted by the New Yorker magazine in two thousand four, and he said that quote We cheered when nine eleven happened, we being the black community, and he he explained that that it was justice because African Americans have been racially profiled and oppressed. And I don't, I'll let Bob take it from here. And I don't know what were the ramifications and how this affected KRS-One's career because I'm not sure he had one by 2004. But in the, you know, one, three, five years after 9-11, you, you probably, there's no coming back from a comment like that. No, that um, I feel like he was already long gone in terms of relevance. It was a long way from whoop, whoop, that's the sound of the police. And whatever. Oh, that was him? Yeah. That's a good song. Great song. But again, long ways away. So uh, that did not go over well post 9-11. And uh, who's to say if it hurt his career? Because he really wasn't bringing home the hits at that point anyway. He so. went on, I, I don't know if it was an apology tour, but a clarification tour. And he said he stated that he meant that people cheered that the establishment had taken a hit, not that people were dying or had died. You know, 
Shut the fuck up. I mean, at that point, too little, too late. Um, Mr. One. <laughs> here we go. It's like, I'm going to use this to paint myself as, what was, what was Brad Pitt's character in Fight Club? Uh, Tyler Durden. Yeah, I'm Tyler Durden. <laughs> KRS one was Tyler Durden himself. All right. Uh, Tex Arcana. Yep. Cool song. Cool. Uh, I've, I like always, it. I've always liked that one. That's kind of a good one if you want to put a deep REM cut on and you want to blow people's mind. It's like, wait, that right. doesn't sound like Michael Stipe, but I kind of like that. Good choice. Now, this might be the penultimate track, Bob. This might be the song from R.E.M. and this album that I've listened to more than any other song. Really? Like kind of on my own. If I'm listening to R.E.M. and it's like, oh, I love that song. I'm going to hit repeat. Yeah. I'm going to listen to it again. Uh, how about again? I like the R.E.M. It has that ability. They're just that band where you can just find a song, just get into it, just keep going. Mm-hmm. jump in with one more nugget on shiny happy people which evidently is the most interesting song that's ever been released <laughs> the song was used as the theme song to the unaired pilot for the sitcom friends known at that time as friends like us it was eventually replaced by the rembrandt's i'll be there for you how about that wow can you even imagine it would it would have never been a sliding doors bro There it is. Country feedback. That's one of those songs like real REM fans. Oh, yeah. That's the shit. Like, that's the song. This album especially, I feel like if I'm in a conversation with a real REM head. Where do you find these REM heads? A real stipey. Where are the stipeys? In twenty nine, real Mills maniac, <laughs> <laughs> and like big fans of Mills Lanes show up, and they're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> no, no, wrong Mills, wrong Mills. 
a real buckaholic. All right. Who was the drummer with the unibrow? Oh, what was that guy's name? That guy had the worst unibrow. <laughs> <laughs> poor fucking sap. He's a good drummer, too. Um, he left the band. Um, this is a cool song. Uh, the Berry Lovers. The Berry. Berry's got to be a. Bob, give me a Berry fan club name. Uh, berry Holics. <laughs> it's late. It's late. Uh, anyway, so yes, this is a cool song. Love it. It's a great. Another one of those great like writing songs. Yeah, maybe that's why we like REM is because we both ended up writers and they're a good writing band. Mm, just kind of like listen that. to them. They don't distract you too much. They are enjoyable when they're not doing dumb shit. It's good background music in the in the nicest uh, way. It's, right. It, it, that could be taken as like a slight, but music that just has it's great like mood vibe music, especially the songs like that, which makes a song like Shiny Happy People stand out even more. Yep. That this is on the same album that that's on. All right. Last song on Out of Time, Bob. It is called Me and Honey. And there she is again, Bob. You got all those complicated feelings sexually for Kate Pearson. I'm young. I'm confused. What's happening here? I sat there looking ugly, looking ugly at me. Knew what you were saying, you were saying to me. Baby's got some new rules, baby, said she's had it with me. I love this one. There's a lot of honey in this world, baby. This honey's for me. Me and honey. You know what? Rule of thumb, I like songs about honey. Like honey songs are pretty undefeated. Have any other examples? Uh, Mariah Carey, Honey. Mm. Uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, Just Like Honey. Well, I have to point it out, Bob. When we did all that, you can't leave behind. Wild honey, you love. Wild honey, honey bee, by uh, yeah. Uh, honey pie, sh- no sugar pie, honey cup, sugar pie, honey bunch. Fucking great, yeah, great all time Motown song. There's not a bad honey song. All right, well you got that. Boom. You're right. You nailed it. Um, me and honey, final track on the album. By the way, the singles, Bob. The singles released, Losing My Religion, Yep. Into Shiny Happy People, okay. May 91. It's a real fucking whiplash right there. Losing My Religion was February 91. Yeah. Near Wild Heaven drops in August 91, wow. summer song. And then they did a little heat check with Radio Song. I'm a little surprised they only did four singles because there was more singles on this album. Right. I think this would have been a good single. This could have been a single. I love this. I like this a lot. I think, um... Baby's got some new rules. Baby said she's had it with me. I think this is a good 
think Te- Texarkana could even have been a single. Yeah. It, yeah. But this could have definitely been one. And also, this is like peak B-52s. They got the, they have the Love Shack heat around yeah. this time. They have the Rome heat. Rome, good song. Forgot about Rome. I always think about Rock Lobster, which I'm not crazy no. about. People got to calm down about Lobster. Yeah, Rome, good song. All right, Bob, it is now time. To thank our Patreones for making this podcast possible. Well done. People, That's what I was going to say, People too. like Bruno, the sponsor, Courtney and Wyatt. Kleine over there in the 4040 club who emailed, oh, damn. who emailed specifically to say, Hey fuckers do out of time. Not a coincidence that we're doing out of time. Here we are. And if you get in the 4040 club, you will have the same sway. potentially. <laughs> so yeah, we listen, we listen to you guys. We got some uh, polls coming up. You guys voted for blink 182. We're going to hit that one next. We did another poll that we're going to catch up with. So thank you. Bob's to- done a lot of polls. If you know what I'm saying. Yep. Sex with dicks. (laughs) With the dicks. Uh, So thank you to all the Patreonies. Patreon.com slash the Roback Pod. All right, Bob. It's time. It is time to pick a song for the Throwback Podcast playlist. A lot of pressure. We'll have to we'll have to reset this one somewhere else within the playlist. Uh for people that listen sequentially, Bob, because last week with Mark Sessler, we had Another REM classic, Fall on Me. Yep. Off Life's Rich Pageant. It would be a little weird to do back to back REM, but then again, at the same time, if there's going to be one band on this whole fucking playlist that gets a back to back, why not the Mike Mills project? <laughs> Makes sense. The not, Millsaholics. Not the Mills band where he sings about baseball songs. Not that one, his side project. <laughs> no, not that one. Okay. Um,. Well, yeah, we'll figure it out. I just thought about Bill Barry's fan club. Yeah. The billionaires. Done. Done. I like that you went with Bill instead of Barry. Because I couldn't get a Barry. That's a twist. I couldn't get a Barry going. Try to get a Barry going. (laughs) Couldn't do it. The Barry Good fan club. Too wordy. Yeah. Billionaires? Nailed it. Got it. All right. Uh, I think um, you're not going to let me do radio song. Fuck you. I'm not going to do radio song. (laughs) I want to hear that last song again. I like that a lot. I would keep listening to that. Me and Honey? Yeah, unless you had one that you wanted to uh, no. stay claim to. I mean, there's so many songs there are so that many. I like. But uh, I think Country Feedback would be a nice change of pace on the playlist. But if you want to go something a little more peppy, let's go Me and Honey. No problem with this, me. I, like, I could just picture this coming on like in the car yeah, or at a good. barbecue. And you're like, oh, this is great. I'm glad this is on right now. There you go. Yeah, Me and Honey is the latest edition the throwback podcast playlist, which you can get on Apple Music exclusively. No, that's not true at all. It's on Spotify, the number one streaming service worldwide, wide, <laughs> wide. Uh, yes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Throwback Pod. And, Instagram, uh, Throwback Pod. Yeah, and to all of you guys that tweeted at us that you stand with Dave and that I was in the wrong for that fist fight, fuck you guys. I was the hero. You, it was, you got a lot of that. There was a lot of that. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of people that uh, <laughs> that think I was in the wrong for uh, for listening to a, a little hussy in 1994 <laughs> and potentially being manipulated into a fist fight. But no, no, I was in the right. You know what? When we were doing that podcast, I didn't expect to be asking those hard questions <laughs> until I'm getting the story, and it it makes sense to me why people are. We're on the same page. No, I get it too. Yeah, no, it was, I was totally manipulated by a young blonde. But do you have perhaps, a, you know, a three-word commentary to those people that doubted you? 
I have way more than three words down. I'm not tying a bow on it that nicely. We're going to keep this podcast going all night long. Well, now you backed yourself in the corner. Thank you to all the naughty monkeys. <laughs>